Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington Jr. from the state of Florida, Stanley Hubbard from the state of Indiana, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Yusuf Al Ford from the state of Indiana, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. There are over 1,800 live shows on that website at this hour. And you will consistently find this radio show on pages 1 through 4 of that website. You'll find us on page 2 on that website this evening. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts, you can go, uh, go send me your emails to my new email address, Steve 1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ, and if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now folks, Get out your Bibles and stand along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day. 
and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, we pray that you will be my co-host on the show this evening, Dr. Frank Washington Jr. and you, Sir Al Ford, as they break into our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host, Steve Corder, who will be answering the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We pray that you will bless them and their families that support their efforts, that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will bless our listeners who are tuning in via blog talk radio as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, that their hearts may be pricked, and it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're just so grateful for his precious sacrifice on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak. And we often fall short of thy will. For I pray that you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, for we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. In the first segment of the broadcast, my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, Jr., he serves with the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. He'll be making his proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And in the second segment, we have a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out that we'll be posing to my co-host, Steve Cordell. He serves as the evangelist for the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois, and he'll be answering our question in that segment and to close out the show my co-host dr yusuf i'm sorry yusuf al ford he serves as the evangelist for the livingstone church of christ there in indianapolis indiana he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of christ to close out the show so open up your bibles now and open your minds and let's have a great show after the break the next voice should be that of my co-host dr frank washington jr enjoy the show You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Show. 
listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, Jr. Thank you, Brother Stevie B. I thank you for the introduction, and I hope all is well for you. I know you're the hardest working man in Christian radio, so keep up the good work, my friend, and may God continue to bless you. Now, tonight, When you look at the book of Ephesians chapter 5, I want to draw a few basic instructions about how Christian men or Christian man is to love and care for his wife. If you want to improve as a husband, learn the biblical principles in this passage because they are vitally important. Learn how to love your wife as God intended. So this lesson tonight is what every man should know about being a godly husband. Many of you have probably heard this, um, this introduction to uh, the talking or the, the part of this lesson. It goes something like this, but you never heard me say it. So there was a man on a beach. He picked up something that looked like a jar. He started rubbing it to clean it off, and a genie appeared. The genie said, I will grant you one wish. The man standing on the beach said, well, I wish I could go to Hawaii. However, I don't want to fly because I'm afraid of height or I'm afraid to fly. It's too high up, and I don't want to go by ship because I might get seasick. So, genie, build me a road all the way from this beach to Hawaii. The genie thought for a moment and said, I can't do that. It's too hard. It's too difficult. The water's too deep to put supports on the road. You're asking me to do an impossible task. 
genie then asked, do you have another wish? The man thought, well, I wish that you would give me the ability to understand my wife. <laughs> he said, I'll have to tell him. The genie stared at him with the look of deep thought on his face and then asked, is that going to be two lanes or four lanes? You'll get that after a while. My friends, God is more concerned about you as men or husbands loving your wife than he is about you understanding your wife. Let me say that again. God is more concerned about you loving your wife than he is about you understanding your wife. Brothers, men, sometimes it may seem easier to build a road to Hawaii than it is to understand your wife. And I'm with you on this one. i got to raise my hand and say amen to that. But track this with me. God is more concerned about you loving your wife than he is about you understanding your wife. Most importantly, your focus is to love her, whether you understand her or not. Four basic instructions about how you are to, as men, husbands, how we are to love and care for our wife. If you want to improve as a husband, learn the biblical principles in this passage and learn how to love your wife as God has intended for us to do. So the first principle deals with spiritual leadership. God has given you and me the responsibility to guide your family spiritually. If you look at Ephesians 5.23, which says, I quote, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. The husband is described here as, we all know the head gives direction and leadership to the body. And the idea behind this verse is the husband is to give direction and leadership to his wife and family. Now, according to 1 Corinthians 14, your wife should be able to come to you with spiritual questions, theological applications, and life questions. You should be her spiritual counselor, her trainer, advisor, coach. You are the spiritual leader and motivator of your home. This implies that you are in the word. You are in the word, and you are growing in the word. You are understanding the truth of the word along with the application and implication that the word provides. Now, you not only are supposed to be a or be the spiritual leader for your wife, but you're also to be the spiritual leader for your kids as well, those who are living in your home. And 6 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger or wrath by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. What does this mean? This implies, hear me carefully, this implies that you, husband, 
know the Lord, and you are growing in his word. Not only that, you are going to teach or instruct that family what God's word says, and then you're going to train and then show them how to live it and apply or the application of it, how it's supposed to be applied to their life. Now, that's quite a bit. You got to know the word. You got to be growing in the word. Can't be stale. You have to teach. You have to train. You have to show them how to apply that word to their life. But while they are in your home, you are their spiritual trainer. You are their spiritual guide. So as a husband, you are your family's spiritual coach, the guy, the trainer. You're the professor. You are the head of the home. We are the head of the home. God designed for you and I, or God's design for you and I, is that you and I be the head of the home, the leader, the initiator of the spiritual growth, development, and direction of your marriage and your family. And you can do this. We can do this. God has given us his spirit that lives inside of us to help us. And the word of God is there to guide us. Therefore, there is no reason. Number one, the second principle for you and me as husbands deals with sacrificial love. We are to devote our life to our wives. Amen. We are to devote our lives to our wives. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as, just as, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, husbands, we're told to love our wives. Our example of how we love our wives, showing how Christ loved for the church and how he sacrificed himself for her. Now, our love is a sacrificial love. And there are two things about this sacrificial love that we need to understand. Number one, remember, we sacrificially love our wife even if they don't deserve it. Now, I had a problem with that, you know, in the early parts of my marriage. You got to sacrifice. You got to sacrificially Love your wife, even though they don't deserve. Now, sometimes, and brothers, hopefully I'm not the only one here that that has this problem. Sometimes our wives, we feel like they don't really deserve that sacrificial love. Amen? But, okay, don't tell anybody that you said what you just said. But remember our example of loving our wife, Christ, on the cross. We ought to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. So when Jesus was sacrificing himself on the cross, he was giving up his life for sinners. He was giving up his life for sinners. He was giving up his life for those who didn't deserve it. Romans 5.8 says, God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, powerful, Christ died for us. So when Christ was on the cross, 
He was dying for people who were rejecting him, denying him, mocking him. But his love was sacrificial and gracious. He was expressing love to those who weren't even loving, who weren't even kind. And some of those sinners Jesus was dying for would eventually make up the church. So when your wife starts nagging, whining, putting you down, you got to love her, brothers. We got to love her, whether she deserves it or not. Amen. So as husbands, we ought to love our wives in the same way. So listen, as a husband, we are not commanded to love our wives because of what she or is not. You are commanded to love her because it's God's will for you to love her. It's certainly intended for you to admire and be attracted by how beautiful she looks. That's you know, why you married her, many of us, because she looked good or she could cook. You know, she was kind, she was gentle, or you know, she had some money, whatever, or any other positive quality or virtue. But those things bring great blessing and enjoyment. They are not the bond of marriage, though. If every appealing characteristic and every virtue of your wife disappears, you are still under just as great an obligation to love her. It doesn't matter. If anything, you're under great obligation because her need for the healing and restored power of your selfless love is greater. And that is the kind of love for his church. It is therefore the kind of love every Christian husband is to have for his wife. Why do you do this? Why do you sacrificially love her? Well, this takes me to the next observation, and that is we, sacrific- we sacrificially love our wife for her spiritual development. Now, if you look at uh, Ephesians 5, 25 again, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, up for her, to make her holy, cleanse the washing of water by the word. Now, I like the way um, John MacArthur, another uh, scholar, described this aspect of the husband's love for his wife. He says, uh, and I quote, love wants only the best for the one it loves, and it cannot bear for a loved one to be corrupted or misled by anything evil or harmful. So when a husband's love for his wife is like continually seek to help purify her from any sort of defilement, he will seek to protect her from the world's contamination and protect her holiness, her virtue, her purity in every way. He will never induce her to do that which is wrong or unwise or expose her to that which is less than good. That's from uh, MacArthur's commentary. This sacrificial love is for her spiritual development. And so this brings me to my uh, third point of a good husband. In this point, you are to have a sanctifying love for your wife. In other words, you are to help your wife reach her potential. Let me say that again. It's not about you. It's not about you in that marriage. You, husband, 
are to help your wife reach her potential. Now, you are to help her to grow spiritually. You are to help her grow from being a spiritual infant to a spiritual adult and a spiritual parent. Ephesians 5.25, which says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle, but holy and blameless. Now, one of the things that Jesus does for us is to sanctify us. He helps us to grow spiritually. And the goal of sanctification is to transform us from something we are into. This is good is to transform us from something we are into, something we ought to be, so that we think differently, act differently, talk differently, live differently, behave differently, and react to situations in this world differently, becoming more and more each and every day like our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is working in your life to help you live holy and cleansing out old habits that are left over from your old nature. Now, the stuff in your old nature is not going to ever go away, but you now have this transformed life to help, I guess, back out or uh, put over the old habits. Now, there are a lot of implications here uh, for the husband. Um, but let me point out one. The husband is to function as the wife's pastor or minister, whichever one you would, would want to choose. The husband is to function as the wife's pastor or her minister. Now, as the head of the home, the husband, you are the pastor. You're the minister. You're the shepherd of your home. It's your responsibility to help your wife grow spiritually and become the person God created her to be. And so one of the ways you do this is to cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, this is a symbolic expression with deep meaning. So stay with me here, and let's go to the well to draw some water. Just as Jesus uses God's word to guide us and protect us and cleanse us from the world's uh, filth that comes into our lives or we come in contact with, you as a husband are to use God's word in the same way. So when you give Bible counsel to your family, uh, you're spiritually washing them with the word. When you help clarify a truth, apply a truth to your marriage and family, you are washing more and more of the dirt and filth of this world off of their spiritual lives. Amen. So think of it this way, though. This is a bath, not a power hose or a power washdown. You are not strapping them down and using the power holes of God's word on them. No, you're not doing that. This is a spiritual bath by a loving husband. So remember this. Keep this in mind. You are the head of your home. You are the pastor. You are the minister. You're the shepherd. You are the shepherd of your marriage. You are the shepherd of your family. 
Embrace it. It's an opportunity. And my friend, it is certainly a great privilege. Now, the final principle for husbands to deal with sensitive love. That's the final one. So for you as a husband, this final one deals with sensitive love. I mean, some of you all may not be sensitive lovers out there. I don't know. But you are to care for your wife's needs. Ephesians 5.28 says, in the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. So quickly, let me highlight a few things here. The word provides means to nourish or to feed. Uh, To nourish a wife is to provide for her needs. Now, this can mean anything such as food, shelter, clothing. You know, you got to buy her food to eat, put a roof over her head, uh, you know, buy her clothes to wear. That doesn't mean to, you know, put you in, your wife shouldn't be putting you in debt by buying clothes and shoes because you know, brothers, women love those shoes and they love those. Okay, let me stop. All right. But it can also mean encouragement, counsel, companionship. You are the provider for her needs. Now, God will use you to provide for many of the needs in your wife's life. God will, pro- God will assist you in providing for the many things that your wife needs in her life. He will help you in that endeavor. And, and, and that is an absolutely, you know, raising your hand in the air saying, amen, Lord. But that's the word provide. The next word, cares. That word means tenderness. Care for your wife is to use tenderness towards her. Now, when your wife is hurting, you're compassionate. When she's discouraged, you are encouraging. When she needs a hug, you hug her. When she needs someone to listen, you turn the TV off, watching the game, and you listen. Brothers, let me say that again. When she needs someone to listen, you turn the TV off, turn her attention from the TV, and you listen. You express love toward her by caring for her. You demonstrate a sensitive love toward her by providing and caring for her. Amen? I've given you four things to seriously consider as a husband. And me too. Uh, You and I are to be the spiritual leaders of our home. Uh, You are a coach. You're the professor. You take your family from point A to point B and you lead them. You are to demonstrate a sacrificial love for your wife. She needs to know and see that her husband has, is, and will give up his agenda, his plans, and his hobbies for her. She needs to know that you are devoted to her. You are to demonstrate a sanctifying love and be the pastor or the minister of your home. Pray for your family. Let them see you Pray for them. Gather them together. Teach God's word to your family. And give your family biblical advice when asked. 
oversee and shepherd your family. And then you ought to express a sensitive love toward your wife that, that feeds and cares for her mind, her soul, and uh, her body. Now, 1 Peter 3, 7, you know, the Bible talks about you need to know your wife. Now, in order for you, husband, to care for your wife when she's hurting, when you're compassionate, when she's discouraged, you're encouraging. When she needs a hug, to listen, you listen. You need to know your wife. Do you really know your wife, brothers? Do you really know your wife, husband? You cannot know all of this. And listen to me carefully. You cannot know your wife without talking to your wife. Talking to your wife is essential. But how do I talk to my wife? Well, maybe I'll do that in the next lesson. There's a lot of things you need to do uh, or, or say or engage in uh, on how to talk to your wife. There's certain, there's certain things you need to know in order to talk to your wife. Because if you don't know your wife, how do you know she needs a hug? Huh? Talk to me. How, if, you, if, you, if, you, if, you don't know, if you don't know your wife, how do you know when she's hurting and you need to be compassionate? If you don't know your wife or you don't talk to your wife, how do you know when she's discouraged or something's bothering her? And how, how do you know when she, when she needs that hug? How do you know when it's time to really, really listen to her? How do you know? Well, you got to talk to your wife. It's essential. If you're not talking to your wife, then you don't understand the sanctifying love that you're supposed to have. You don't know the sensitive love towards your wife that you're supposed to show towards her to 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 invigorate her mind, her soul, and her body. Again, I may do that on the next lesson. How do I talk to uh, my wife? Maybe I'll do that next lesson. But before we take it to the house, I want to say a word to the wives, the ladies out there. Ladies, sisters, if your husband falls away or falls way short of what has been mentioned in this lesson, don't criticize the brother. Don't criticize him. Don't step on him. Don't don't nag him. You know, don't don't become bitter uh, with him. Don't don't become bitter. If he if he, if he's listening to this lesson, he heard what I had to say and he saw and he sees what the Bible said. I need you to pray for him, encourage him, be that man's cheerleader. Every man wants his wife to be a cheerleader. When things go wrong in his life, and they will, because the devil out there, he's got some, he got some stuff in his bag. Don't criticize him when he falls. Don't criticize him when he loses his job. Help him. Pray for him. Let him know he's got this. Encourage him. Don't be, again, be his cheerleader. Be his helpmate. Don't kick him while he's down. Don't kick him to the curb. Don't make his life miserable. You know, don't do that. Don't don't talk don't don't talk to the kids in a negative way about him. And that, don't do that. 
that, that's, that's not going to help your situation at all. Don't criticize him. Don't nag him. Be a better wife. Be the kind of wife that God expects you to be when that man falls away. Because there are going to be times when men can't be 100 all the time. We can't be 100 all the time. So you have to know how to help us get back on our feet. Now, I realize the husbands listening to this message want to be better husbands. I know they do. And they want to love their wives much better. They want to lead their families well. They want to honor God in their homes more. So to become the man, in in closing, to become the man God wants you to be and to become the husband and dad that God wants you to be, you need to have Jesus as the Lord of your life in the center of your life. He needs to be your Lord so he can be your leader. And you need to have his spirit welling deep down inside of you. Well, I hope this lesson helped some brother. I hope it helped some man, some dad tonight. And I hope that you'll learn and, and hopefully you'll understand that, you know, being a husband is not easy. It is not easy by a long shot. So you single folk out there, if you, you know, think you want to get married and be a husband, be a father, it, it's not easy. You need to know some things. But this was a lesson to help uh, men understand or what every man should know about being a godly husband. I hope you take this message and I hope you apply it to your life. Uh, Ephesians 5 has a lot of things about marriage. It has a lot of things about how to make sure your home is going to be, you know, 100. Uh, But men, again, know your wife. Talk to your wife. Let her know that you're listening. Let her know that you're paying attention. Give her that sanctifying love, that sensitive love, that sacrificial love. Be that spiritual leader of, of that home. And I'm sure to tell you right now, God will bless you, and he'll bless you real good. Stay in God's grip. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
Radio show. Shout it out question. We have a question from my social media platform called Shout It Out that we want to propose to my co host, Steve Corder, who serves as the evangelist for the East Park Church of Christ there in Danville, Illinois. And we also want to encourage our listeners to go to the group on Facebook and join that group and get involved in those biblical discussions. Now, the question that we have from Anonymous Quarries this is the question. Is the rapture the same as the second coming of Christ? What say you to this question? Good evening, Stevie, and thank you for having me on the program again. Welcome to all of those who are listening on the Blog Talk Radio platform or whichever platform you happen to be on. Thank you for joining us. And this is a listener-submitted question that I'll be dealing with this evening. If you have a question about a Bible talks, uh, a Bible text or topic, uh, send it to us. We have the Shout It Out page on Facebook, social media. You can uh, email one of the other uh, uh, co-hosts on the show. Uh, a lot of most of us are on Facebook. You can look us up there and send us a message. But if you have a question 
about a text or a topic, uh, we would be glad to help you find an answer uh, to that, and that's what we're going to do now. And this is a question that uh, comes up fairly frequently. I don't think it comes up quite as much as it used to in the 70s and 80s. Uh, had a very popular film that popularized this uh, uh, doctrine. And the question is, is the rapture the same as the second coming of Christ? Now, I became a Christian back in 1980. Well, uh, don't worry about it. None of your business. Uh, and the rapture was a pretty popular doctrine then for churches to uh, teach and, and to uh, claim as what's going to happen when Jesus returns. And if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that's where we'll be spending most of our time uh, this evening. But this is the passage where the idea comes from. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn in your Bible, or if you have a Bible app, open it up, uh, whichever you use. And I'm going to be reading here from the New King James Version. And it says, beginning in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that you uh, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. Now the word uh, in the New King James that's translated caught up, in the original Greek is a, a long word, and I'm trying to remember the pronunciation, which I can't off the top of my head. Um, Arpagasumethia, A-R-P-A-G-A-S-U-M-E-T-H-A is how you spell it. Now, this is a Greek word which, when translated into Latin, becomes the word rapture and then translated into English from, from the Latin. So the word is not even found in the Greek text. The word rapture is not even found in the New Testament. Now, one writer said that the rapture refers to a time when Christ will come and take his people somewhere up in the air for seven years, and that was uh, Don Wallingford in his uh, millennial outline that was written uh, about 1985. Uh, During the time the church is raptured away, there will be great tribulation on the earth because Satan will be turned loose to terrorize those left behind. Those left behind will be those who do not obey Christ, that would be non-Christians. Now, not every source that I've looked at said that they'll, the church will be lifted up for seven years. Uh, some say that that'll be eternal, uh, but doesn't really matter because they're not going to be lifted up uh, as prescribed in the rapture doctrine. And here's some problems with this doctrine. Number one is it calls for a secret carrying away of the church. But when you look at the proof text used to support this theory, it says that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet, uh, and with the trumpet of God. So that doesn't sound like some secret carrying away. It's kind of hard to be secret when you're blowing on a trumpet. 
But the coming of the Lord is going to be audible. That's the point we have to get. One that is heard and noticed by everyone. So how can Jesus come secretly if you've got all this noise and commotion and activity that is announcing his arrival? And then the rapture theory also calls for the righteous and the unrighteous to be separated, the righteous to be carried away, and this idea conflicts with Scripture. John chapter 5, verse 28 says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, you, now notice this. The hour, singular, is coming in which all who are in the graves uh, will hear his voice. That's Jesus speaking, of course, John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. So the evil and the good will be uh, resurrected at the same time, same day, same hour. Uh, it'll all be the same when we are, are resurrected. And then in uh, Matthew 25, which is kind of a go-to passage uh, when studying the idea of the rapture, but Matthew chapter 25, in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Okay, all the nations are going to be gathered before the Son of Man on, his, uh, throne, uh, on the throne of his glory. So nobody's going to be left out. All the nations are going to be represented there. And he will separate, this is the Son of Man, uh, will separate them uh, one from another as a separate divides the sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left hand. So notice that all nations are going to, again, as, as I mentioned, all nations are going to be gathered. The separation is made at that time. The ones to be punished are going to be sent away. Because when Jesus is done with this section of Scripture, he... Notice that all nations will be gathered at the same time. The separation is made at that time. The ones uh, to be punished, the evil ones, the, the, the cowardly, the lazy, and whatever else uh, it said that were tossed in the lake of fire, the idea here will be the, those will be sent away. The idea of a secret coming of the Lord for the Christian is unfounded. We will be here either until we die or until the Lord decides to come back. And another issue with the rapture is it calls for a twofold coming of Jesus. If you notice the scriptures quoted, Jesus has only one fold or one part coming back. He will not make several trips to return to earth. And then the earth will be destroyed at Christ's second coming, Second Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. The earth, he said, will be uh, dissolved. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 10, turn over there just for a second. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Mm-hmm. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Stevie B's Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting a live show for the Word of the Lord radio show. And that show will air every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. The second Tuesday of the month, the show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And we have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Church of Christ. We'll be making a proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And also on that particular show, we have the Community Corner segment. That segment is designed for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. I also have two co-hosts on that show, uh, Lou Gilbert. He serves as the evangelist for the Old Book Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves Church of Christ here in Cary, North Carolina. Then on the third Tuesday of the month, my co-host, Dr. Therica Lane, she's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist. She serves the Gray Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. She'll be hosting her show Conversations with Dr. Lane, and that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And then the fourth Tuesday of the month, my co-host Kelly Fletcher, she serves the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. She'll be hosting her show, The Kelly Fletcher Show, and that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. 
Then on Thursday evening, each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time, I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. And I have eight co-hosts on that show, Clay Phillips, Dr. Frank Washington Jr., Steve Porter, Robert Lee Johnson, Glenn McMillian, Brian Christian Coburn, Brian Christian Coburn, Yusuf Al Ford, and Stanley Hubbard. And on that show, these co-hosts be presenting lessons from the Word of God. And each week, I have two co-hosts on the air with me. And I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook. Shout it out. I'll be posing to one of my co-hosts on that live show. Then on Friday night, I'll be hosting the live show, Stevie B, Acapella Gospel Music Black. And this radio show, the 2022 recipient for the Camera National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. And that show will air at never, from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. We're also doing interviews with the various artists that we've uh, had on this broadcast. We're debuting new music and featuring old music as well. Then every third Friday of the month, I have my top 20 countdown show. And we also have on-demand episodes where we get your favorite podcast from. Just search for Stevie B Media Productions, Wildby, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple, iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. We want to thank our sponsors for sponsoring these radio shows. If you'd like to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marshall from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. For three E's of Stevie B Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Live Radio Show. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Lord, you know I need you. King Jesus, you, you know that I, I need you every day of my life. Oh, I need you. King Jesus, oh, I know oh, you can make oh, everything yeah, yeah. right. Cause even when I'm down and out, Lord, I
listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Yusuf Al Ford. Good evening, Stevie B, and thank you once again for the privilege of sharing a few words with your audience tonight. I hope everyone is doing well and God has provided for all of your needs and you're in a good place, spiritually speaking. As mentioned earlier, our discussion tonight is about justice and maybe a little bit of karma. The short definition of justice is people getting what they deserve, whether good or bad, and whether we personally like the outcome or not. Before the crucifixion of Jesus, he appeared before judgment seats, judgment seat of the Sanhedrin, Caiaphas, Pilate, and Herod. And if you and I had never read this story before, it would almost you would almost think it's a story about recent events in the United States. Something along the lines of blank lives matter. <laughs> Fill in the blank. When it comes to justice in the broadest sense or the concept that individuals are treated in a manner that is equitable and fair, the common people usually take a hit. Um, the innocent are railroaded through the system, 
and most poor people are considered guilty to proven innocent. And there was no exception with Jesus. For example, he was born poor. Luke chapter 2, verse 7 and 22 kind of alludes to that. He was the son of a carpenter. Mark chapter 6, verse 3. In order to pay his taxes one time, he sent the disciples down to the to a water hole and told them to pull out a fish and open his mouth and you would find money in his, to, to pay their taxes. So he was not by any, he was not a man of means. You know, he was not rich. He struggled just like we do. He worked a physical and challenging job. Um, his father was a carpenter. He was also a tent maker. And he slept on the ground. So one might consider him to be sort of homeless because he said in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man have not where to lay his head. So it seemed like to me he wanted to live a life that's that was similar to ours so that he could understand what we would have to endure each day. But unfortunately, he acquired a real opportunity at the end of his life. And, you know, you consider all that he had done and all the people he had helped, the people who had fed thousands, the people he had healed, there was no number, the people he taught, the conversations, the places he went, and just that opportunity to rub shoulders with him. After all that, he was unappreciated, just like you or I. Nonetheless, you know, he was a great man with a great personality. And I didn't know him personally. But from what I've read, he had a kind and gentle spirit. He was just a nice guy. Jesus was just a nice man. He was the only one, according to the scriptures, created on this planet that came into this world that never made a single mistake. He never broke a single commandment. But like so many, he too was accused of wrongdoing, arrested, tried, judged, and then sentenced. Now, the difference is he was a judge himself of a higher order, and we'll get back to that in just a little bit. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 says Jesus was would come to sit on the throne of glory, of which he's now sitting. He's sitting on that throne as we speak. So you could tell by the vibes that you read in the New Testament um, books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just looking at his interaction with the spiritual leaders that they really envied him. They really didn't like him. And during the peak of his popularity, they contrived a plan to stop him. The Bible says, Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people into the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas, this guy, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and not kill and, and kill him. But they said not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Matthew 26, verse 3 to 5. So throughout the course of his ministry, they were constantly trying to trip him up, constantly trying to trap him using different elements of the law of Moses. And they could never do it. And he would always escape. So they just needed a little inside help. And for whatever the reason, one of the Lord's so-called friends saw an opportunity to make uh, some fast cash 
and had a conversation with the conspirators. And after he had made this deal to turn Jesus over for a small fortune and the authorities who were already looking for reasons to remove him, they agreed. So Caiaphas was the ringleader. Now, I want you to understand this. This is what really uh, this is what really disappointed me. I mean, reading the story, knowing the scriptures and studying them for all these years and what I know about the law of Moses and the priesthood and that sort of thing. This Caiaphas, right, was the high priest. Now, I'm not talking about the low priest or the middle priest, you know, the, the guys who are just coming into the priesthood from the Levitical priests you know, from the tribe of Levite working during the basic, you know, fundamental uh, offerings and that sort of thing. This was the high priest, the highest of the Jewish order. And he was the executioner. And God, through the law, had placed him in such an exalted position. Essentially, as a high priest, he was the connection between the community and God. So the high priest was also a political head of the community and Part of his function was to care for the administration or administrative duties, um, such as collecting taxes, tithes, managing the priesthood duties, and etc. You know things like that. So, overall, the high, the, test, the Old Testament high, high priest was the center of the religious community, and apparently, Caiaphas didn't want to relinquish that position. So reading from the book of Hebrews, chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible tells us, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Therefore Caiaphas was ordered to do the following. Reading from Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, speaking to Aaron, thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen murty uh, shall he be attired. These are the holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And Aaron shall offer his bullock for a sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. That's reading from the... Uh, straight from the book of Leviticus. This was the direct order from God to Moses, to Aaron, to be handed down for generations uh, for the high priest's office. So you see here, we see here religious leaders, and not just those in the Old Testament, but religious leaders today as well, have a tremendous responsibility that we have to live up to. We are to teach, to restore to assist in baptism and beyond those things, and more and most importantly, live a righteous life. That's it. But as I read the next passages in Matthew, I find these leaders void of all of the aforementioned. Matthew chapter 26, verse 57. 
And they that laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death. Jesus saith unto them, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. I don't have a very high or great opinion of them. I understand how prophecy unfolds, but nonetheless, we are held to certain standards. Not just as leaders, but as Christians. Where's justice? Where are those who could testify on his behalf? Where is the burden of proof? Where is the evidence? These were trumped up charges. It was a witch hunt. More than 300 years later, the, the Salem, uh, Salem witch trials testified to the way fear ruined lives of innocent people and the importance of due process in protecting individuals against false accusations, the Salem witch trials. And this is definitely a defining example of intolerance and injustices in American history. And it's sad, but these extraordinary events in 19 or 1692 led to the deaths of many people, women, men, and children. And Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin went down that same path of witch hunting. Not a lot going on there. That was a judgment seat failure in my opinion next governor Pontius Pilate is up Luke chapter 23 verse 1 through 4 Pilate was known as the Roman perfect governor well we'll see if he lives up to the title Luke 23 verse 1 and the whole multitude of them arose and led it led him unto Pilate and they began to accuse him saying we have found this fellow perverting the, perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. Now, so here Pilate is under pressure he's under pressure ladies and gentlemen so let me ask you what do you do when you're faced with such pressures do you cave into the pressure or do you meet it head on now the law teaches uh the, the law teaching was and this is going back again to examples in the bible that we are to follow that the leaders were to follow leviticus chapter 19 and verse 15 god said you shall not, you shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the persons of the poor, nor honor the persons of the mighty, but in righteousness shall thou judge thy neighbor. Does that sound like what Jesus got? And although this was written to the children of Israel, its principles apply to all. And so, Here's the reason, ladies and gentlemen, we, we have to be very careful 
when it comes to the what I call the old buddy system or the good old boy system. In Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 19, God said, Thou shalt not rest judgment. Thou shalt not respect persons. Neither take a gift, for a gift doth blind the eyes of the wise and prevent the words of the righteous. And Pilate definitely gave a blind eye here. At least uh, they was, he was trying. You know, he was trying. He tried to keep it together. But a little bit later on, here comes more pressure bearing down. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19 it says, when he, he, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in the dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Pilate was caught between a rock and a hard place. And then, you know, here's the thing. If you, if you guys... Especially the guys, if you're married, if you're a married man, you you know what pressure he's under right now, what pressure is unfolding. And he probably forgot he had to go home. Probably the first thing he heard when he walked through the door was, um, so um, how did that Jesus thing go? And he probably tried to avoid the question, but... When you try to do that, you know what's coming next, don't you? Because they come right back with another question. So, how how's Jesus? Yeah, uh, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Say that, and the questions really start mounting. Uh, let it go. I, I'm just, I'm tired. I had a long day, and I don't want to talk about it. No, they're not going to give up. They're not going to they're going to be they're continuously coming at you, asking more and more and more questions. So you might as well tell the truth. Meanwhile, uh, at work on the throne, the bad guys are constantly putting pressure on him to condemn Jesus. So Pilate did what most of us would do. He tried to maneuver around it and shift the responsibility elsewhere. So what did he do? He sent him to Herod. Luke chapter 23, verse six and seven, when Pilate had heard heard of Galilee. He asked whether the man was a Galilean. And as soon as he knew, the Bible says, that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was at Jerusalem at the time. So he sends him on to Herod. Verse 11, Herod going through the process, and he's asking Jesus questions, put, putting him under... Um, in the spotlight and under interrogation. And Herod's like, well, I I can't find anything wrong either. So he puts on a raisin with a a gorgeous robe, mocks him, the soldiers, and he sends him right back to Pilate because Herod's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to have anything to do with this. So he sent him right back, sent him right back to Pilate. Now, Pilate's still trying to whip, find wriggle room. So he said, you know, he had brought this man. This is language, uh, by the way. Luke chapter 23, verse 14 and through 16. He had brought this man unto me who, 
as one that preventeth the people uh, that perverteth the people, and behold, I have examined him before you and found no fault in this man touching those things whether you ye accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent him to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I would therefore chasten him and release him. He's trying desperately to wiggle out of this, his responsibility. But here's the thing. If you're a judge, if you have that type of responsibility, you can't shift that. You can't shift that responsibility to anyone else. If you're a leader, whether you're in, in, in management even, if you're a manager or own your own company or work for a company and you're managing uh, officer, you just can't shift those responsibilities to other people. You can't blame other people. You have to own up. You have to face the music. You have to face your responsibility. And what Pilate and Herod should have done was one thing, but what they did was another. And what I see here is another judgment seat failure. I see two judgment seat failures. And let me just encourage you, don't cave. Don't ever cave to the pressure. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's your boss. I don't care if it's I don't care if it's a, a judge or a law official or whoever or your wife or your husband or, or the brethren, whomever. Don't cave to that type of pressure. Always tell the truth. Always be a righteous person. Always make the right decision because your life and your soul may depend upon it. And so we see here that Caiaphas failed. He, he had a failed judgment in the judgment seat. The Sanhedrin, all of them who were part of the Sanhedrin court, and there were many of them, they failed. And then Pilate failed. And then Herod failed. And so the only one who was a part of that court that stood with Jesus, just one, one man, the Bible tells us in St. John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, and we'll read of this guy. If you're, if you're reading along with me, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And now Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin court. And he did some honorable things. It says, And the same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that's respect. He respected him, showed, showed him respect right there, Rabbi. We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do those these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. They knew. They knew. And so he was the only righteous judge among them and and even after uh, Jesus died which was very commendable the Bible tells us that Nicodemus saith unto them he that came to Jesus by night um, doth our law judge a man before it, they, it, it hear him and know what he doeth and so this was an argument they were having among themselves and Nicodemus stepped in and uh, they were arguing with Nicodemus. They you go back and read the law. Has anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, the Bible doesn't speak of this man, but Nicodemus knew who he was. And Nicodemus, and, and at the end, when Jesus was crucified in John chapter 19, after his death, it was Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus 
verse 38 and 40, that went back and claimed the body uh, of Jesus and buried him. Nicodemus was a brother, but he was a judge. And he was the only one, the only part of that Sanhedrin court that stood with Christ, the only righteous judge among them. Now I wonder tonight if you would stand with him. Will you stand with Christ? And you need to know that Jesus is the last judge any of us will ever stand before. And little did these judges realize that they themselves would have to stand and appear before the very judge that they convicted of crimes, of which he was innocent. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to, to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Injustices may not be corrected during our life, but they will be at the end. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, even lawmakers and court officials, but after this, the judgment. And Paul finishes by saying this in our conclusion. It is a faithful saying, For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Do the right thing all the time. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next time. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm not ashamed to live for Jesus. It's the best life, that's for sure. I'm not ashamed to defend his name, cause he died for mine and yours. Hey! Ah!
Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, before I give my closing remarks, I'm going to do something a little different I don't normally do on the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm going to open up my lines to a live caller. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Caller, what's your name and tell us where you're calling from. Hey, what's up, CVB, man? My name is James Richardson from Fayetteville, North Carolina. How you doing, brother? I'm doing just fine. How you doing this evening? I'm doing great, man, now that I get to talk to the Master Blaster. <laughs> now, normally, ladies and gentlemen, as I stated, I don't normally do this on a Thursday night. Now, this is normally what I do on Friday night. I have uh, opened up the line for callers. And that's, hey, James, that's when I'm going to blast the Master on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I'm just glad you called in to the show, man. Now, are you able to listen to the show through the website? Oh yeah, sir. Man, I listen to it on the website. You know, I listen to it um, on um, I think what 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 is it on on Heart Radio every morning when uh-huh. I go to work. Okay, so yeah, you're man. listening to the on demand episodes. Yes, sir. Oh, okay, okay. Now, normally when I when I'm talking about the website, I'm talking about the live shows when the shows are actually airing live, like tonight, like right now. This is a live show. Oh, okay. Yeah, see, this is a live show. And after I go off the air, these shows will be distributed to the various platforms like iHeartRadio, Spotify, and so on, you know? Oh, okay. Now, now, do you, um, now is it on Facebook also? No, I don't uh, air shows live on social media. Oh, okay. You know, what I normally do before I come on the air, I'll do a promo video just letting people know that I'm about to go on the air and they can tune in through the website. Okay, that's good. That's good to know. Yeah, that's normally how I I'm do it. So this is, I think this now. is the first time I've actually done this right here, open up the phone lines for callers on this live show on a Thursday night. This is the first time I've ever done that. Well, I, but brother, I am honored. I, I am truly honored. That's, well, since that's you my I'm bishop, Hey, since you my bishop, I had to do it tonight. 
<laughs> I knew you was going to say that, bro. <laughs> hey, I appreciate you, brother. I really do. Appreciate you, dude. And love you, man. Take care. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling in to the show tonight. No problem, brother. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for tuning in to the broadcast on tonight. I want to thank my co-hosts, uh, Dr. Frank Washington and uh, Yusuf Al Ford for proclaiming the word of God tonight. really appreciate those lessons uh, that they gave us on the show tonight. I really appreciate my team here for, for the Gospel Light Radio Show. I have some good faithful brothers who are preaching the word of God, and I, I don't take any of this for granted. I also want to thank my co-host, Steve Cordo. He answered our shout-out question regarding the rapture. I think he did a great job in answering that question as well. What a blessing. It's my prayer that these lessons this evening have been beneficial to your spiritual lives, and your relationship has been with the Lord's been spending because you not only tuned in this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continued blessings upon your lives, and that he bless you real Real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Live radio show on behalf of my co-host. We really do appreciate your love and support for these programs. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.